lovely to be together. Turn with me to chapter 24 of Luke's Gospel, and uh, and then next week, Canada will be presenting chapter 23, and he is really looking forward to presenting that message, and he didn't want to miss it. So we're going to read this morning at verse 36 through to the end of the chapter. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he'd led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The title I've given my message for this morning is Two Things the World Doesn't Want But Desperately Needs A Christ, a Jesus Who Has Risen and a Bible that has authority. And we're going to look at those two features this morning. Now, in terms of prophecy too, we want to consider that uh, it's a major factor in this passage. And I wonder if you asked a person, a friend of yours, or someone on the street about prophecy these days, what would they come up with? Well, they might talk about, uh, for example, the ancient Mayan calendar which supposedly uh, predicted the end of the world in 2012. Or they might talk to you about Nostradamus and and all the prophecies that he supposedly uh, gave. But I want to show you from Scripture this morning the amazing accuracy of biblical prophecy. And we're going to be looking at these two things that the world really doesn't want but desperately needs, a Jesus who has risen and a Bible that has authority. But first of all, let's consider Luke who wrote. And we'd like to call Luke an investigator. He's almost like a detective. He's out there with his uh, research tools and his magnifying glass. These days it would be a DNA testing kit, wouldn't it? And uh, in terms of the bookends of Luke, in chapter 1, we've learned about 
Jesus' arrival from heaven. In chapter 24, it's his departure back to heaven to be with the Father. We also find a strong link in Luke from his book through to the second book he wrote, which is the book of Acts. And if you look with me at Luke chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4, we read that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated, so there's Luke the detective, everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke was writing to this person. We don't exactly know who he was, but we know his name, Theophilus, and uh, he was wanting to write an orderly account and uh, so that's clear that he was writing to that person. Then if we go to Acts chapter 1 and the first two verses there, Luke says, In my former book, which was the Gospel of Luke, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that's a really important link through from, the, from Luke to the book of Acts. When I think of Luke the detective, it reminds me of the Bereans, and it's a message to you and I about just how careful we've got to be and how good we should be at checking things out. Because uh, in Acts chapter 17, we read about the Bereans, that they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, don't know why. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So they're, they're doing the detective work too. They're listening to Paul's sermons, then they're getting themselves back into the Old Testament scriptures and checking it out to see if it matches up. And uh, it, I just thought that's just so important for us today to be like Luke. And just to, to uh, investigate, to check things out, and to know for sure what we believe in. We don't just uh, believe in something that's a pie in the sky or something that's airy-fairy. So God, God really wants us to trust his word every day. So let's now look at a few thoughts on the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. And I'd like to think of that this morning, if we considered that as a single unit, a single event, the death and resurrection of Christ, it's something that divides all history. It's something that divides every person on earth. It's something that, in fact, is central to the entire universe in which we live, is that event, the death and resurrection of Christ. It is just so, so important. And it's a fact of history. And I was reading um, that if a case was brought to court to try and prove the resurrection, there'd be, there'd be so much evidence that it would make a clear and firm case that the resurrection was indeed 
a fact. It's a fact of history, and it's not a legend. And if we can just consider these things here on the screen, for example, the Roman seal that was on the, across the stone, that was broken, and nobody dared break a Roman seal without their life being in danger. That huge heavy stone was rolled back. The tomb was empty. I preferred to say actually that the tomb was vacant. It, was, it had been vacated. It wasn't just empty. And if we go to the leaders of any world religion, we'll find that their tombs are occupied. If you go to the tomb of Buddha, the body is there. If you go to the tomb of Muhammad, the body is there. If you go to the tomb of Christ, it's vacated. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes themselves were still there, folded. The angel's testimony that said he had risen. The guard's story, how they went back to the religious leaders and told the story of what had happened. And you notice that the, the religious leaders didn't deny what the guards had said. They accepted the story. And then they concocted this cover-up story to explain um, something else, how the body was stolen. So the guard's story in itself is a testimony. The fact that Jesus bore the scars on his body, that's very, very significant. The, the people that saw him could see for themselves the scars on his body and know that it was indeed him. The fact that Jesus appeared to so many, there's just so many resurrection appearances that uh, we could look at, but we won't be doing that this morning because that would take quite a long time. But of course, in particular, in our chapter, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And then we have in, from chapter 13, oh, sorry, verse 13 onwards, we won't read it this morning, about the road to Emmaus and the disciples that saw Jesus there. So there's lots and lots of eyewitness uh, testimonials to the resurrection of Christ. And another really important one is the changed lives of the disciples. What happened to them at the time of the crucifixion when the, when the Lord Jesus had been arrested? They were just shattered. They were crushed. He was their wonderful leader whom they thought was going to restore the nation of Israel and make them great and uh, everything would be wonderful. Israel would be a nation of power again. But he who was supposed to be their king and leader was arrested. He was badly treated. He was crucified. And they were just absolutely devastated. Their hearts were filled with fear. They fled and it seemed to be all over. They were dejected. 
They want it just to go back home. But then after the resurrection, wow, you couldn't imagine anything more different. They were brave, they were vibrant, they were full of the power of God, and they just got out there and witnessed for Christ. And what, what a huge transformation. And you really couldn't explain that transformation if Jesus was still in the grave. So that's just very quickly as some of the important evidences for the resurrection. Now let's look at another slide on the screen. What about the significance of the resurrection? What does it mean? What does it mean to you and to this world in which we live in? And the first thing I'd like to say, it signifies the Father's acceptance of the Son's finished work. That the, uh, that the redemptive work of Christ, it is finished, it's complete, and the Father God had, had accepted what the Lord Jesus had done. It also tells us that there is life after death. You know, there's just so many people today who think that death is the end. And they've got a bucket list. You know, I've, there's so many exciting things I just have to do before I die because that's the only life I've got. And uh, death for many is just the end. But if Jesus rose, there is life after death. And it displays God's power over life and death. Death has been conquered. It no longer has the sting and power that it used to have. The resurrection also validates everything that the Lord Jesus said and did and taught. In those three years, as the Lord Jesus traveled around, all the thousands of sermons he would have preached, all the teachings he gave, it proves that the Lord Jesus is true and accurate in everything that he said and taught. So therefore, Jesus is the Son of God, just as he claimed to be. The resurrection, of course, also signifies a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It confirms to us that the Bible is true. It's not a legend. It's not a fable. It's not just something from the misty, distant past. It is a true and accurate book. We also find that the, the resurrection guarantees the believer's resurrection. And if we were to go to 1 Corinthians 15, we won't do that this morning, but there's a guarantee there that if Christ rose, then the believer, every person who believes in him, will also rise in the end. And of course, Jesus lives to be your saviour and Lord. What a challenge to us, isn't it? If Jesus lives, we need to be his disciples. He needs to be our saviour. He needs to be your Lord. Well, let's just consider a moment some things about prophecy. And first of all, as we said, I uh, wonder what people would say if you went and asked them about prophecy. And one of the things might be astrology. And if you go to your, you don't have to go very far, if you went as far as your TV guide, you would find horoscopes, you would, you would find advertisements by psychics and clairvoyants. And uh, astrology is it's a system of observing the stars to supposedly find out what's going to happen in your life or in other people's lives. But it doesn't work. 
I can tell you right now it's been tested, it's been experimentally tested, it's been looked at from every possible angle, and it just simply doesn't work. It's just a superstition. And then there's people like psychics and clairvoyants. They claim to use you know, ESP, extrasensory perception, to see into people's lives, past and future. But it too, is, it's, uh, we have to realize it is an occult practice. And if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 18, we read, uh, let's just have that on the screen, that when the, when the Lord was speaking to his people, Israel, before they entered the promised land, this is the kind of thing he said, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. So you wouldn't think that something so innocent as the TV guide could be uh, an occult, have occult content, but it has. So we've got to discount those uh, as in terms of prophecy. Well, what about the Mayan calendar that we mentioned earlier on? I wonder if you ever thought about that, that supposedly was a prophecy of the end of the world in 2012. And uh, we understand that the Mayan people of Central America they had a, a very complex, multi-leveled calendar system, uh, which they said had been given to them by one of their gods named Itzamna. And their long count calendar had an important date, which was calculated to be the 21st of December 2012. You remember that? All the world was talking about 2012. Well, it actually didn't predict the end of the world, but a number of people today got hold of that prophecy and tried to make it say that it's going to be something devastating happen like the end of the world. Well, the date came and went, and none of the things people said uh, were predicting took place. And you remember the movie? Maybe you went to see the movie. I quite enjoyed watching it. <laughs> quite an exciting, very dramatic movie about the world being uh, overcome by, guess what, a huge flood. And what did they do to escape the flood? They built arcs. Interesting, isn't it? How Hollywood can come up with that sort of scenario for the end of the world. <laughs> well, the movie was released in 2009, so that gave people three years to worry to see what would happen in 2012. <laughs> and, of course, it didn't happen. Well, what about this person known as Nostradamus? He lived in France in the 16th century. He studied medicine, then the occult and astrology, and he wrote heaps and heaps of supposed prophecies. He borrowed material from Egypt, the Chaldeans and the Assyrians. He wrote something like 6,300 supposed prophecies. And in particular, this, this book of his, it's called, somebody called The Prophecies, contains nearly a 1,000 of his prophecies, and they are just hugely popular. His prophecies have been in print for the last 450 years. 
because people have just got this fascination with prophecy. Except when you turn to the Bible and suddenly, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. But the prophecies, yes, hugely popular. And some people have a real fascination with the supposed prophecies, mostly to do with coming disasters in Europe. Uh, but people have tried to translate that all around the world. But all his prophecies, are they're very vague. They don't mention much in the way of specifics, such as kings, rulers, nations, empires, events, and time frames. Um, and his followers have tried and tried to match up his prophecies with various things that are happening around the world, like you know 9-11 and so on, but none have really succeeded. So what then about Bible prophecy? How does that compare? Let's have a look at that. Let's, let's check it out. Let's do some testing. Let's look at some references. And if you were going to employ someone, the first thing you do is get some references. What is this person like? What's their ability? What can they do? What's their history? If you're going to buy something like a, a car, you want to look up, get some references, get some reports on what, what that car is, is like. Because you don't want to buy a lemon. You want to buy something that goes and it's not going to break down. What about uh, getting a tenant for your house? You know, you're, you're, you're a landlord and you, you, you want to do a credit check. You want to get some references and uh, find out what the person is like. Um, do they keep a large pet crocodile in their living room? Uh, do they hold ragey parties at 3 a.m. in the morning? And it, you probably wouldn't want to get that sort of person. And some, sometimes people who are getting references, they go two or three layers deep. They get a reference from someone and the, that person says, oh yes, that person is fine. But then you get a reference on the person that gave the reference. And sometimes people even go a third layer back behind that to try and establish uh, the accuracy of these references. Well, when we read the Bible, God's references are impeccable. You cannot fault God's references. And we're going to look just for a moment now at, at prophecy as an indication of God's references. And as we've seen in our, our passage in Luke uh, chapter 24, at verse uh, 46, for example, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Okay? And he's saying, everything that must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So we're looking at the accuracy of biblical prophecy. If we were to go back into the Old Testament, just briefly, if you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18, what is the test of a prophet? And that passage there, it says at verse 21, you may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Okay, well, that's a fair test of a prophet, if what he says comes true. But let's just keep in mind also, if you go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13, in the first five verses there, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams 
appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, okay, so you say, well, he's passed the first test. He's made a prophecy, and what he prophesied took place. Okay. But then, and he says, let us follow other gods. Gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to whether to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. So I think this is really important in far as the test of a prophet, not just that what he says comes true, but is he walking the talk? Is he living for the Lord? Has he got a heart relationship with his God? Is he leading his people or leading the church in a godly direction, or is he diverting people away from God? So that's another really important aspect of the test of a prophet. The New Testament gives us the source of biblical prophecy, 2 Peter chapter 1. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's the heart of prophecy. That's the source of prophecy. Now I'd like to refer you to Isaiah. Turn with me to chapter 44. And there's a really exciting section of scripture here from chapters 41 to 48, which is just so powerful. It talks about the greatness of God, the uniqueness of God, the majesty of God, and it also talks about prophecy. And for example, at chapter 44, verses 6 to 8, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me. What has happened since I established my ancient people? And what is yet to come? Yes, let him foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I, did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. Okay, so you get the picture there. There is only one God, and prophecy is his exclusive domain. There's no pretenders who can prophesy. There's no idols that can do that. And uh, we won't go any more passages there today, but just remember the excitement of that section. So let's consider, as we're looking, the, the accuracy, the stunning accuracy of biblical prophecy. And you notice that Jesus said uh, what happened in Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. What did Jesus mean by that? Well, let's just have a quick look. If we look at a chart on the screen, first of all, when Jesus said Moses, he was referring to the books of Moses, which is the first five books. And then he was referring to the prophets, 
well, the books from, from, from Joshua to Esther is regarded as the former prophets. And then, of course, from Isaiah to Malachi, uh, the prophets. And in the middle, you've got this third section of the Hebrew Bible. It's called the writings or the books of, of wisdom. Um, and so Moses and the prophets. We'll go to the next uh, slide. So the law of Moses and the prophets. So if Jesus said everything that Moses and the prophets said about me, he's referring to the entire Old Testament. It's not just little bits here or there. So uh, the next slide shows us it's the law and the prophets or the scriptures. So that's the basis of what Jesus was referring to, the entire Old Testament. Now let's put on the screen a big long list, and we are not going to go through all of this today, or we'd be here for a very long time. But here's an example of uh, prophecies just in one week from the time that Jesus entered Jerusalem up until the time of um, his resurrection. And there's a list here of 38 specific prophecies that all came true exactly as the Old Testament prophesied. It is just the stunning accuracy of biblical prophecy. And many of these we're very familiar with, that uh, he would be betrayed by a friend. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money to be thrown into God's house. Uh, he would be forsaken by his disciples. He would be accused by false witnesses. And so it, it goes on. And uh, the next page has got some about the resurrection. First of all, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That after suffering and his life being a guilt offering, he will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. These prophecies are just perfect and accurate right to the last degree. And uh, I'm sure you can think we're not going to be able to go through all of those today, but it's just an exciting thing. It's something you can even use like as a witnessing tool. If you're talking to friends about the accuracy of Scripture, you can say, well, look, here's an example of prophecies that have come true. I wonder if you've come across people that say, but the Bible prophecies were written after the thing happened. Have you come across that? I have. You think, oh, that's pretty strange. But if we were to look at a timeline on the screen, we'd see, for example, that Moses wrote 1,500 years before Christ, King David 1,000 years before Isaiah. The Old Testament was a finished book around 400 B.C., and it was translated into the Greek around 200 BC. So the Old Testament was a finished book. And all of those 38 prophecies we've just listed on the screen all come from hundreds and thousands of years before Christ arrived. So it's, it's just, you wonder how anybody could say prophecy was written after the event. And just quickly, we want to say that the Bible is under attack from every quarter. It's just um, stunning how so many people from so many walks of life are determined to dismiss the Bible and just knock it down. And we're not going to go into any detail on that, that picture today. But uh, 
Modern science, for example, has become the god of the modern age. The Bible is not the top place. It's science, secular science. If, you know, if a scientist says something, oh, it must be true. A scientist said it. But the Bible has the ultimate authority and is not something that will bow down to any criticism. So I want to just finish by saying of these two things, the world doesn't want but desperately needs, and that's what we've got. We've got a Jesus who has risen. We've got a Bible that has authority that we can use in our daily lives. We can use in our church life. We can use it at work. We can use it in any aspect of our lives, and it works. The Bible is a book that you can rely on and use in your witnessing and in your family life and in your personal life as a true and correct book. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we're just so excited that you have uh, properly recorded your message to us. We can accept the Bible as accurate, Lord, and we just want to, to trust it. We want to live by it. Lord, we want to live our lives that are honouring to you, and we pray that we might follow your word in doing just that. We thank you for this meeting this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.